Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today at Women in B2B Marketing. Today, we have with us Karen Scott, CMO, board member, advisor, and she has worked with many, many brands, including Salesforce, Cisco, and a ton of others I could list off. But so excited to have you with us here, Karen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Let's dive into it. I'd love to hear just how you got started in marketing, your first foray on this path. Sure. Yeah. And to be honest, it was somewhat accidental. And I'm always coaching my kids, their friends, and because uh, they're both uh, adults now, graduated college, and the younger generations that I mentor, that it's really important to keep open to everything and let everything hit you. And what's really important and what lights you up and what gives you energy will end up sticking. My degrees were in psychology and in journalism. And of course, I use both of those every day, all the yeah. time. And job I've ever had, but it was really accidental to fall into marketing. I began my career as a journalist. I did work for CNN and Fox. Don't try to look for anything. It's all stripped out. (laughs) Writing and communicating has always been my superpower and where I get a lot of energy. And uh, realizing that wasn't the place for me. I'm a hardcore news person and it was starting to get very editorialized and such. Mm. I went to go work for a PR agency where I had an opportunity to do a variety of different kinds of writing. And there I was exposed to the broader marketing opportunities because it was a marketing agency in addition to having a PR arm. And Mm. I was very excited about all the different channels and avenues and ways in which you could influence and educate uh, customers and prospects that it really lit a bug in me. And I followed that. Love that. That's amazing. I think a lot of people end up coming from the world of journalism into marketing, right? It's just a natural flow. I wonder if it ever goes vice versa from marketing into the journalism world. It must. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but but you can, in any avenue of marketing you go into, except maybe from for you know marketing tech ops kind of thing, clear communication, succinct communication and writing, even a Slack, an email, whatever, that, that will never take you off a path, right? That's always a superpower to have because marketers are communicators at the end of the day, right? P1 is telling stories. Yeah. It's why we end up oftentimes, especially at smaller companies, also leading internal communications, right? (laughs) Internal marketing. Exactly. Right. I I was tasked for almost every CEO I worked for in the smaller companies for sure and writing all of their emails just because I could take ideas. Because you can. Anyway, yeah. Exactly. And I touched on this earlier, but you've worked for huge brands like Cisco and Salesforce, and you've also worked for startups and SMBs. Seeing it all and being in the mix in these different size companies, what has been the biggest change of just going from one to the other? Yeah, they're very different, but I think any marketer who has aspirations to move up to to CMO or senior levels really should have both experiences. So when you're working in organizations like the Cisco's and Salesforce's and other very big companies, you have the opportunity to expose yourself and lean into a whole host of other lines of business, areas of marketing. You have a lot of resources typically at your hand. A lot of opportunity to make business cases and get executive sponsorships and go off and do things and learn things, right? And I learned so much from my mentors and peers and colleagues at Cisco and Salesforce that really helped shape my path and my career. Many of them are still on my board of advisors that I have today now, which is great. 
And in the smaller companies, you have an opportunity to take those skills and learnings into practice in a bigger yet smaller scale, if that makes sense, right? It's the old yeah. analogy of, you know, a small fish in a big pond or whatever else. So you really can exercise those muscles and do the full stack of marketing. Whereas in the larger company, it's usually a harder path to get to that overall athlete level. Yeah. At the larger companies, were you, or did you see that it was mostly, you had to be super laser focused on one specific channel or a talent or responsibility because there's obviously a massive team? Yeah, there's a lot more of that there for sure. So you haven't, but the flip side of being siloed, as you say, is you get to become an expert at something. So yeah. when you're in a smaller company, you know, you may have a title of marketing manager and that means you're doing basically everything and anything all the time. Whereas when you're in these larger organizations, you might be a channel marketing manager or a digital marketing manager that gives you a great opportunity to build expertise, number one, and try other things, number two, but number three, and again, I, I, I do a lot of mentoring and I say to folks, lean into what gives you energy and move away from the things that don't. And having the opportunity to get very deep in different areas, yeah. you quickly can understand what lights you up and what sucks your energy. Yeah. Well, what lights you up? What's your favorite part of marketing to work on? Yeah. Thank you for that. And that and that's part of the reason why I'm now sort of doing this fractional CMO thing. Yeah. I get most lit up by messaging positioning, competitive differentiation, partnering with stealth ABC-ish series companies and founders who really need that kind of work done, but really aren't at a place in their growth where they should have a CMO. They probably don't have a huge marketing team and huge budget, but they still need that work done. So that gets me super excited. I'm a technology junkie. So being fractional, I get the opportunity to learn and expose myself to a lot of new technologies. And it's just fascinating. You blink and there's some new thing on the market. Yes. So it's, it's very, very satisfying. So that cool. lights me up you know, quite a bit. And I like the opportunity now to lean into a variety of those. Very cool. Yeah. Cause it's always, you want to switch to the next hot thing, right? And all this new tech you always want to take on, but you can't just keep switching inside one company. So you're right. in the perfect situation where you can see it and test it out in various companies without disrupting things and changing it nonstop and having people have to relearn. And it's a gift to to learn. It's a real gift to be able yeah. to have these opportunities to, to learn about new technologies and, and help startups get their trajectory set and framing up their go-to-market strategy. It's very exciting to be able to apply what I've learned throughout my career at the big companies and the small ones to try to pay it forward and help. Yeah. And I want to dive into something you touched, you said, and I want to make sure I got it right. You mentioned having a, a board of directors. Is, yeah. And w- did you mean a personal board of directors? I do. Yeah. What is that? I love that. Yeah, no. And I can't take credit for it. One of my longtime mentors who I adopted at Cisco and he remains my mentor today told me early on, develop your board of directors. And I had the same reaction. I don't even know what that means. Basically what he's saying is pull together maybe three, maybe five, but certainly not many more people in your network or outside of your network that you would like to be in your network who you can tap into and bounce ideas off of and go to advice and guidance and mentorship along your journey. So for example, I have found that very useful and bi-directionally too, the people I've invited to be on my board, so to speak, I'm using bunny ears here, obviously reciprocate and, and do that back because as much as you may have experienced and learned and been in roles for decades, there's always that footnote you might've forgotten. There's always that perspective you didn't think about. And I find it again, such a gift when I can tap a peer or a colleague and say, you know, I just put this messaging thing together. What am I missing? 
does this resonate? Or here's the go-to-market plan I have. I'd love your feedback, right? You come from yeah. a completely different space, what have you. And so building that sort of network of a couple folks, I call them my board of directors. I don't have board meetings or anything like that, but knowing I could tap into them. And then of course, the honor of reciprocating has been really a game changer for me. I love this. I mean, as soon as you said that, I was like, I, I lit up because <laughs> that sounds amazing. I never really thought of it that way. But Everybody do they have know? One. Yeah. Do they know that they're on your board, that they're an advisor? That's my, that's my outreach. I'll say, you know, Hey, Susie, Timmy, what have you? I admire your work. I've learned so much from watching you and you're, and seeing all the moves that you're making. And I would be honored if you'd be willing once a quarter, you know, twice a year, whatever, to give me feedback on my plans and whatnot. And I find that people are usually very flattered, especially when you hit that sort of late stage career. Giving back is an honor. It really is. I mean, let's face it. Everyone has been helped on their journey, right? I've been helped. I'm sure you've been helped. Anybody who hasn't had help. And I feel it's an obligation, a responsibility and and a real joy to pass that on to the next gen. So that kind of advisory reciprocation, I think is really critical, especially when you're being fractional. Do you, when you pick them out, do you usually go for friends or is it or do you typically stay away from friends, more colleagues or people you've never even worked with? It's all of the above. And I try yeah. to get a mix. I try to get a mix of people that I've worked with or for or who've worked for me and ask, yeah. invite them to, to participate. People that I admire and I clearly state when I ping them why I admire them. And every now and then, although it's really harder to do, someone who gosh, I wish I could have 10 minutes with that human. And that's where your yeah. network comes into play and your LinkedIn comes into, into play where you can say, hey, I'd really love to meet this person. Any chance you can broker an invite and you usually can get lucky. Love that. I'm totally going to do that in the next few months. Thanks for the inspo. And to switch gears a little bit back on track, I know we wanted to dive into today your new role as a fractional CMO. This is kind of a, a trend we're seeing right now or a hot topic that we are seeing with fractional C-suite members, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you decide to go this route? Why? What do you think it's like? How is the transition? I'd love a a full download if you can. Sure. Yeah. I'll take you on that journey. So my husband and I gave ourselves a year sabbatical during the pandemic where we were both at points in our career where we thought, you know what, we're going to pause for a moment and just think through what's next. And went on the road in our RV and I highly recommend it if you ever have a chance to do that everywhere and anywhere, meeting all kinds of really exciting people. But the chairman of my board of directors, right, my early adopted mentor at uh, Cisco, Ron Ritchie, who's magical, said to me, all right, great, use that time really well and think about what your third third is. And I had to think about what he even meant by that. But, But what he said was most careers will have sort of three main sections, right? What you're studying for, what you're starting out in, the next thing that you might be thinking about or maybe hasn't even been discovered yet, and then what's that last chapter, right? What, what, what do you want to do at that last mile there after you've had all these other experiences? So I took that to heart and I was reading a lot of LinkedIn posts and articles and things about all this fractional stuff. And I didn't really know what it yeah. was. So I started my research. I started my outreach. I started pinging people who were doing that role, whether it was fractional CRO, CMO, what have you, to learn what their experiences were. And I framed up in my mind what I thought made sense. So I took the sweet spot I carved out and I would encourage anybody looking to be fractional, really try to be clear and targeted 
with what you want to do because fractional CMO can mean everything and nothing. So to differentiate from other people saying I'm fractional, it's really important to have a very clearly defined marketing plan for yourself, if you will. And where I landed is wanted to stay in technology because my career has been there and I'm super energized by learning about new technologies as we spoke of. Two, I really wanted to focus in on the smaller emerging companies versus the ones that were more established and, and larger. And three, for me, to our earlier conversation, the two areas that really give me the most energy and where I get lit, and I think people do their best work when they are energized and lit, is one in that messaging, positioning, how do we differentiate in the marketplace and go after our piece of the TAM? And then how do you then create the go-to-market strategy? How do you start the lead funnel coming in and all that kind of stuff? And so I figured, let's see if I can make a whirl of it, right? And I was very, very fortunate in that once I started to put the pings out there, I had inbound, right? So I got my first set of projects from people referring me and that's how the referral network really works, right? That will end, I'm sure, at some point. I'm not naive enough to think I'm always going to have my funnel filled with the next project. So I'll have to think about how am I going to outreach and do my own demand gen. But uh, right now, I've been lucky enough to have projects, introductions for projects anyway, come my way. And that's been super exciting. Do you work with a a company that assists with the fractional component and, I mean, will help with the referrals? Or is there a company that assists with this? Yeah, interesting you should say that. Uh, yes, on both points. TrueBridge, which is the uh, a, a branch of true executive search firm, were uh-huh. enough and forward thinking enough as they always are to develop a practice around this. And so they have a whole business model exclusively focused on having talent partners, as they call people like myself, in yeah. their system to match with their clients that perhaps aren't yet ready to open a full search for an executive for a whole host of reasons, but still maybe need that help. So I've had one project that I'm actually working on right now with a company called Huntress Labs, which is a cybersecurity company. Fascinating for me, because again, I get to learn very deeply about an area that I haven't had a lot of exposure to. So it's a real gift in that sense. And I matched through them. The the others for me have come, as I mentioned, sort of more organically. There are a lot of agencies spinning up out there, right? And kinds of models. I mean, I've seen models where you have to pay a fee. TrueBridge isn't one of them. I've seen models where you apply. There's a whole lot of people jumping on the bandwagon because I do think it's more than a trend. It's a really interesting alternative to hiring a full-time C-suite person prematurely or when you're at that place where it's time to pause to accelerate, right? Which happens to be the case with Huntress. They're at an interesting juncture in their growth cycle where they need to sort of let's rethink how we're doing this before they can go off and bring in their CMO. Yeah, I love that. And this is when you decided to end your sabbatical, is this what you went right into then? I did. Very cool. And what do you think is, what has this allowed you to do? It must open up just time for you to work on other endeavors. I'd love to know what you and your husband are working on. Yep. I, I do know, but the audience doesn't. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, Two things. One thing that I always struggled with is I do a fair amount of volunteering uh, for different causes. And I'm on a couple of boards that are nonprofit for causes that I yes. care about. And I never was able to being, you know, raising children and being a full-time executive and all this stuff, give it the level of intention and depth that I wanted, right? I checked the box with the requirements, of course, but, but I really felt like, gosh, there's more I could be doing for these organizations. And so it's given me time to lean in there more, which is Mm. wonderful, both for me and for them, right? So that's 
Really great. And yeah, I mean, you're alluding to the olive farm thing. My husband was also thinking through what's my third third. And we uh, we decided after living 35 years in Marin, we were going to move a little bit north, have a little more space, a little more breathing room and found a property that happened to come with 230 olive trees. And my husband got all lit up about that. He, I'm from Manhattan. He was raised by medical missionaries in Ghana and Sierra Leone, vast wow. experiences. So he's always been very happy and in his groove and gets his energy from working the land and being out there and whatnot. So he fully stepped out of his career to manage this olive business full time. Wow. And for me, having this fractional lifestyle, I was able to watch the harvest, watch the press, understand the bottling process. And of course I could use my marketing yeah. ability write the copy and write the website and, and, you know, starting to seed food influencers with our olive oil and stuff. So it's Love been a really it. exciting challenge. And, and what's hilarious to people who know me from Manhattan, when they saw that article that you referenced earlier of me on a tractor, I can't tell you how many- <laughs> Be saying, what is this, a midlife crisis? Like, you're from Manhattan. What do you know about tractors? But, City girl. But exactly. <laughs> right. So it was sort of hilarious for folks to see that. But again, gift keeps being the word. I'm filled with gratitude that I'm able to yeah. fill my intellectual curiosity and, and help organizations and learn about different technologies and then have a little bit of time to give back to some of those nonprofits that I'm passionate about and learn this, this new thing with the olive business. Yeah, I love that. So you get a perfect blend of life, everything that life should bring and mixing it up with the farm. I love that. And who doesn't love olives? (laughs) Olives are great. (laughs) You also touched on, I know you keep mentioning that you are on the board and you're an advisor in addition to being, I'm sure, on many personal boards for, for other women or people. But I'm curious, how does that come about? Being asked or asking to be on a board of a company, I'm sure it's typically you're asked, how does that come about? At what stage in your career should you start thinking about that? And really, yeah, how do you step into it? Yeah, I'll answer two ways because um, there's the private boards, you know, companies or public companies, whatnot. And then there's sort of the nonprofits and the philanthropic ones. And yeah. I do both. The, um, the for-profit company, not public, that was the first board experience I had, a company called FarmWise, super exciting ag tech AI, right? My, my whole talk track is listen to your veggies. They'll tell you what you need. It's very intelligent, <laughs> harvesting and sustainable food for the future. Very exciting. And that one came when I was CMO over at Flexport, totally different business, right? Flexport is logistics and shipping and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the CEO was on the hunt for a marketing advisor. And w- I had just rebranded the company and just redone the website and just redone the messaging. And he was very impressed with that transformation. So he pinged me on LinkedIn Keep your LinkedIn up to date. It's really a great yeah. uh, for everything we've talked about today. <laughs> and said exactly that, right? To your flipping opposite what you had asked me. Do you just have cold outreach? He cold pinged me and said, I've been super impressed with the way you've reinvented the brand. Okay. Would love to talk to you about being a board member from a marketing standpoint. Are you interested? And I looked at the website, looked at what they were doing. Again, being a tech junkie, I thought, what a great opportunity to learn about agriculture and, yeah. and all stuff. And I met with them and I joined and I've been there for two and a half years and it's been fascinating. So that was one that came to me being asked. With the um, nonprofits, it's a, it's a little, I don't want to say easier, but a little easier to volunteer, right? So yeah. if you find a cause that you're passionate about, I would start by looking at organizations that are in that space, volunteering for a project, getting to know the people, and then looking for a way that you can add value to their existing team. And then just raise your hand, 
right? You, yeah. you know, to channel my inner Wayne Gretzky, the one shot you will always miss is the one you never take. Yeah. So just with everything, they're going to be rejections. They're going to be, we don't have a board. They're going to be, no, we don't have membership open right now. And then there's going to be the ones that say, wow, exactly what we've been looking for. We'd love your help. Yeah, so true. I started volunteering with a, a women's organization. As you can tell from this podcast, sure. that's one of my passions is yep. just supporting women in various ways. But Women in Revenue is a great organization. So I'm I'm helping out on their sponsorship team. So that's been great. But have you ever taken on a position as a, a board member, an advisor where it was too much, like you're taking too much on your plate when you're already working full time, your mom, like you juggling all of the things that many of us do in life. And then you're taking on all of these extra board positions or advisor roles. Have you ever felt like it was too much or what kind of advice do you have for people just starting out on that road? Yeah. I mean, I haven't had that, but I'm self-awareness is a really important piece of it. And that would be yeah. the advice to give folks. Don't jump on multiple opportunities, crawl, walk, run, try one and see how that fits into your life professional, personal, whatever's going on to do more than two at a time, unless your role at a company is like executive chairman, where you've got some time to go do those things and are expected to go do those things might be setting yourself up for too much stress. At least yeah. in my experience, certainly if you're in B2B marketing and certainly if you're in technology, you just don't have the time in your life to do all those things, family, friends, athletic pursuits, whatever, and then also give your all to more than one cause at a time. Yeah, that's true. You're going to, what happens when you spread yourself too thin, you kind of half-ass things, right? <laughs> Nothing gets your, your full energy and intelligence. It's true. Yep. As you're working with all of these different brands right now and recently, what do you see working to drive revenue and growth? I'm sure it changes and varies based on what industry you're in, but is there any pattern you're seeing that right now is just working to help drive revenue? Yeah, there's actually a couple of things. One is there's been a shift, and you talked about women in revenue, to rev ops from yes. marketing ops and sales ops, right? And that's been a long time coming. And I'm thrilled that more and more companies of all sizes in all industries are embracing that because it really is a central function because revenue is the core of most businesses, certainly in B2B, right? And having everything centralized. So there's a single source of truth, a single pipeline, shared metrics. That is the fast path to success. I've seen so many companies where data sets are different and reporting metrics are different and it causes all kinds of internal. Yeah. So having it centralized, I think is really great. Number one and number two is having and creating a culture around revenue. And you know, going back to my Salesforce training days, that was from the minute you walked in the door, it was all about pipeline and revenue and conversions and leads yeah. and expansion and all that kind of but that's amazing training for a marketing person, right? Because at the end of the day, marketing is here to enable and support the sales process, whether that's brand, PR, digital, whatever. At the end of the day, that's really the true north. And a long way to answer your question, but I'm seeing more and more organizations adopt that mentality, right? And one of the fastest ways to do that, again, back to my Salesforce training, is marketing mm -hmm. needs quotas just like sales. The minute you give marketers a quota of how many leads or new business opportunities or new partners or whatever area of marketing you're working in, fastest way to focus people's attention, focus on the task at hand and contributions to revenue, right? And give personal accountability. So yeah. 
So true. So everybody, especially sales and marketing, referencing the same data, the same numbers, not different data sets, key for sales marketing key. alignment, for sure. I'm thrilled to see this rise in RevOps. And in fact, a lot of executive search firms are now reporting chief revenue officer or chief RevOps or RevOps, yeah. VP or what have you. It's really become a thing. Mm -hmm. A new title I'm hearing. I think it's, um, yeah. And even a new, new one I'm hearing is revenue R&D. Oh, haven't heard that one. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah. So funny. I think Chris Walker started it and it's starting to infiltrate a couple of other companies. I love it. That's great. On the flip side, what do you see not working right now? What's just full stop for you? Yeah. And I love the way you framed the question when you emailed to me, what am I so done with? I think that's brilliant. And there are a couple of things I'm way done with. So one is, and every company I've ever worked for in some way, shape or form falls into this, the inside out messaging, me, 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 why our stuff is great. Why our thing is this, why our stuff is that no one actually cares. Yeah. It's outside in. What can I do for you? How I solve your problem, addressing those pain points. And it's a natural muscle reflex that we just have to yeah. really learn. But, and some companies have it more noticeable than others where all of their messaging is me, 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 why, 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 feature, feature. No one actually cares, right? They yeah. care about, you understand who I am and the journey I'm on. And if so, how can you help me in that journey? So I'm done with the inside out messaging. Number one. I and love number that two. phrase, by the way, I have never heard that before. Inside out messaging. I'm definitely adopting that when I talk to my team. <laughs> Anytime I take on a new project, I mean, without a doubt, I will find within 10 minutes, someone somewhere doing the inside. And by yes. the way, that's not a bad thing to do. You have to, if you don't believe passionately that your thing is great, that maybe you get need another job or another thing, right? So we have to yeah. have conviction around what we're promoting and marketing and selling, but we have to do it through the lens of the customer or, or the prospect, right? They're the people that yeah. are buying, right? I see this most often in messaging. If we all think internally, our message is great. That's interesting, but it really isn't relevant. What's really relevant is, is it going to land with the people who might buy your thing? I'm not going to go buy the thing, right? I'm promoting the thing. Yeah. You know, funny thing, I, I almost always get my mother as my litmus test. If she understands what I'm saying, then I probably yeah. have it nailed. Exactly. That's great. Right. So that's what I'm done with. The other thing I'm really done with is random acts of marketing. And this mm -hmm. happens everywhere and anywhere in some shape, shape or form as well. You have to constantly be aligned to what's the true north. That's why you mentioned earlier the V2 mom strategy at Salesforce, which yeah. yes, I use today. It clearly articulates what am I doing? Why am I doing? How am I measuring? And anything that falls on the fringe, you got to say no to. And as marketers yeah. and as people who are very excited about our careers, it's hard to say no, but it's so empowering, right? To say, hey, that's not what's going to get us to the revenue number. If you yeah. want to have a conversation in a trade-off discussion, let's do that. But I'm not going to add to something and take my eye off the key ball here for that reason. So stop the random acts of marketing. Focus on doing okay. a few things exceptionally well. Whether you're the lone marketing person in a small company or one of a 5,000-person marketing organization, that's always the true north. What are the couple things I'm going to do exceptionally well versus a bunch of different things maybe okay? Yeah. it's You're making me think everybody loves marketing, right? It's fun, quote unquote. 
So everybody in the company, especially when you're at a smaller company, will always come, oh, I have this great idea. We should do X, Y, Z. Everyone yeah. has these these side projects or marketing ideas, right? And they bring it to you and you have to be able to take them and filter them out. And some of them yeah. are great ideas, shitting on that, but there's just not time to get it all done. And you have to have priorities that are aligned to, like you said, your, your true north, your goals for that year. So. And, and put them in a parking lot, right? So like I literally have a whiteboard with a parking lot because some maybe three months later or on a different project, Project, that idea might actually have a home somewhere, but yeah, got a level set. And that's coaching I give to a lot of earlier stage career folk. They feel it's a sign of weakness to say no or to challenge yeah. or whatever, but yeah. it actually is exactly the opposite. I think you earn a lot more respect by saying, even if it's to the CEO, that's an awesome idea. I'd love to understand how in your mind that maps to these goals, or are we going to change the goals? That's a super fair question to ask. I've never yeah. heard of it getting fired by asking a challenge question. If you do, then you're probably not working in the right company. Mm-hmm. Agreed. What do you do if there's all of these ideas, right? And they all do align with the mm-hmm. true North. They are all ideas that could get you there but deciding yeah. which ones to actually focus on. Yeah, I mean, that that's the age-old question in marketing many times, yeah. right? It's really about a lot of what marketing is, is trial, data-informed decisions, <laughs> trialing, A-B testing, trying, all testing. Mm-hmm. All, right, all of that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, if you do 10 things, seven will probably work. Maybe half of those will be outstanding and amazing. Three are going to blow up. But if you're not... Yeah. Denzel Washington said once in a commencement speech I watched on Goldcast one day, if you're not failing, you're not even trying, mm-hmm. right? So taking those ideas, validating them with data, and then deciding how are you going to test, observe, learn, and then you can pretty quickly see which ones are working and which ones are not working. And sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes the thing that you really thought was never going to work out blows your mind and blows your pipeline. And other times the tried and tested thing that you can take to the bank actually doesn't. So it's good good to have a a plate to choose from and to do that testing and analysis. Especially right now where everything is just kind of changing because the market's so strange, especially in the tech world and SaaS that we just, you got to try new things in order to, to see what, what's working right now. So because you'll never, you know, and, and something surprised you, like, for example, direct mail is making a comeback. Why? Because everyone stopped mailing things. And you're yeah. so cluttered with email and the ads and targeting and all this stuff that to get sort of a pretty, I got a pretty cool thing the other day that had a rock in it and all this kind of stuff. It was very interesting. It got my yeah. attention. I actually took the action and went to the website and added my little code in, which yeah. traditional marketing says that's too much work for somebody. They're not going to do it. I actually did it because it was really interesting. A break from the norm. Yeah. Caught your there attention. You Mm-hmm. Very cool. Let's say on a homepage, right? You're redoing the website and you're redoing your messaging. How do you find the balance between the, this is going back to your inside out messaging, right? But the balance between very clearly saying what your company does and also what problem you're solving, right? So speaking to the audience and making sure you're focusing on what pain points you're you're solving for them, but also clearly saying what you do. Because sometimes I'll go to websites and they're just telling me all of my problems, right? It's like all of these problems, we solve them by X, Y, Z, we make you do this, but it doesn't actually say what they are. I'm like, okay, how do you do that? So they almost focus too much on the me stuff without actually telling me how or what they do. So yeah. how do you find that balance? Yeah. Well, for me personally, I I work with an agency that's skilled at doing this because they have methodology 
companies. Copywriters. <laughs> copywriters, honestly, but it's really the message development, right? And yeah. and I find the luxury and the value in working with outside agencies. Like there's this one agency, Park and Battery, that I use many times yeah. to help, they help me brand Flex Reband, Flexport and CloudSpot. And I'm doing some work with them now at Huntress. They have license to talk to competitors, to talk to churned accounts, to get questions answered that you as the company representative would never get the foot in the door, right? And so again, balancing the inside out, what we want to say outside in with what the customer wants to hear and distilling that down to the silver bullet. It's exceptionally hard to do. It is really hard to do, which is why it takes a lot of time, a lot of focus. And I would encourage no matter what size company you are, really do that job well, because everything else falls off of that, number one. And number two is explainer videos. It blows my mind in this day and age where there's so many tools that you can make super high quality videos. Long gone are the days of having to spend $100,000 on a fancy film crew and all this kind of stuff. Not that that's a bad thing, but not everybody has those kind of budgets. Yeah. Make a 90 second explainer. Everybody has 90. If they landed on your website, something got them there. They have 90 seconds to look at a video that said it could be an animated graphic video too, that articulates exactly what you just said who I am, what pain am I solving for you and why I'm different. And you might want to check it out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very clearly that. Very clearly. And say Don't it again. focus too much on either end. Do the whole story. <laughs> the whole story. And then you can branch off, right? So certain people are going to want, you know, the more technical people are going to want, well, how do you actually connect those things? And how does that work? And then you have journeys, right? The, the, you know, you'll have a engaged journeys from your website, depending on who the persona is and all that chocolatey good stuff. But it's got to start with something that will catch the broadest number of potential people who are coming to your website. And then you can brand. Yeah. And knowing that these are things that you're done with, and these are, you mentioned a few things as well that are working really well. So what, where do you see marketing going in the next few years, the next five years or so? Yeah, a couple of things that I think are kind of interesting. I think the adoption of AI into marketing Mm -hmm is going to be a game changer. And specifically what I'm starting to see and what I think is going to be interesting is automating repetitive tasks and processes where humans who are fallible, we are not perfect, right? One decimal point off on a spreadsheet causes a whole bunch of downstream pain, right? Because we're humans. Machines often are far more perfect in that thing can free us up to do the more strategic and creative stuff. So for example, asset tagging and things like that. That I think we're going to start to see being very automated so that instead of going in there and having to do all of that, you can focus on things like personal content, right? And mm-hmm. doing those things a little bit better. So I think we're going to start to see the impact of AI and all those really cool tools and technologies that are coming on the market free us up to do more fun, creative, and strategic things as opposed to the more routine tasks and, and potentially risky things where you might make a mistake. So that's an area where I think we're going to see uh, movement. And the other thing too, is because the world is so noisy and because there's so much coming at us every single day on every single channel, anytime you pick up a device or what have you, the bottom line is going to be, if you aren't going to say something, I heard this at a conference, so I'm stealing this actually. If you aren't going to say something brave, bold, or pithy, say nothing. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise your marketing just gets caught in that gray mass of confusion. So if you have something super bold and pithy to say, that's going to make someone stop and think, shoot the shot, take the shot. Yeah. But if you're not there yet, better to wait. Really good advice. We have to figure out where, where that came from. That's a good quote. I'll, I'll, I'll retro find it, but it came from yeah. a, or at, uh, at one of the conferences I attended. 
Awesome. I get, if you do find it, I can put the link in the show notes too. Love that. Brave, bold, or pithy. Good one. That's it. Maybe AI is the answer to my next question. We'll see. But what are um, some of your favorite tools at the moment? I know you love getting into new tech. What, what new tech is blowing you away? God, I could answer. I mean, that could take forever so to many, answer. Right? <laughs> However, I will say though, I fall back on the tried and true. So for example, Salesforce, and I'm not saying that just because I work there, right? Without a doubt, it's the lifeblood of any marketer. Yeah. I mean, the ability to have a dashboard on your phone if you wake up at three in the morning or the CEO wakes up at three in the morning or one of your investors and is going to get a glass of water or something, you can see exactly where the business is, what's working, what's not working and make those real-time inline changes. So yes, there are a lot of really cool tools. You got to be careful with tools though, because you don't want to build out a tech stack that has so many tools in it that A, it gets expensive and B, it gets cumbersome when you're trying to stitch them all together. Yes. Definitely explore and finalize your tech stack with the couple things that are going to make a difference. Listening tools, understanding where people are in the sales cycle, like those kinds of intent data tools, I think are super fascinating because Mm -hmm. it helps us as marketers, as Mark Benioff said himself years ago, meet our customers in the future when they get there. Right. And if you can do that, if you can understand where they're headed and where they might be, you can welcome them with open arms when they arrive there. And there are a lot of tools out there that are helping get there. So true. And you mentioned the the danger of bringing in too many tools because that can be overwhelming. I just heard a term this week. I'm sure I'm late to the game, but shelfware um, mm. I became aware of. So a lot of tools, people get all excited, new shiny toy, and then yep. they don't actually adopt it and they put it on the shelf and it they're just spending money for it because you buy an annual contract, right? You sign an annual contract and it just gets put on the shelf. So it's now not software, it's shelfware just exactly. sitting there until the expiration. <laughs> exactly. Got to be careful with that. I mean, first thing to do anytime you start a job or take on a consulting contract is open the hood and see how it's stitched together. Because yeah. usually you'll find opportunities to streamline and maybe get rid of some of the tools that, that aren't paying for themselves. Yeah. As we we start to wrap up here, what's one thing that you would tell your younger self just starting out in marketing that you've learned along the way and you wish you knew from the get-go? Right. There's actually two things. One is max out your 401k. Don't think about it. Just do it. You will not miss the weekly money and it it can make a massive difference in your life no matter what the economy does. Fast forward 34 years. So I wish I had done that. I didn't do that. I got started later. And second is, and this becomes very challenging in this era of hybrid work and remote work and a lot of companies going fully remote or whatever else, ask questions. A lot of times, and I found this in myself earlier on too, there's almost this fear of if I ask a question, it means I don't know something or it means yeah. I'm, I'm stupid or, or whatever else. You're not supposed to know everything. I sure as heck don't know everything. I ask a bazillion questions all the time. That's how you learn things. And it's really challenging, I think today, because as a manager, you can sense somebody's EQ. You know, when you're having a one-on-one meeting or even a meeting where somebody, you can sense their body language and know when maybe they're struggling and they aren't yet ready or afraid to raise the hand or ask the question, you can pull them aside afterwards. It's very difficult to get that even on Zoom calls and whatnot. And I think the more physical distance, the harder it is for some of those earlier stage career people to raise their hands, ask the questions and realize that that's not a sign of weakness. You're not supposed to know everything. And it's also a bad brand image on yourself if you pretend to know everything, right? People are here to help. The enemy is outside. We start thinking there's problems inside and holding back and not asking questions and not being honest and vulnerable amongst our own work family. Yeah. 
it's very hard to, to move forward and take the market. Yeah. You're never going to know everything for sure. I can echo that. So never be afraid to ask questions. And for the most part, you're bringing light to something that probably five other people in the room wanted to ask as well. And nobody was, was willing to, to take that step. A hundred percent. And then you run the risk of doing whatever you were going to go do absent information that might've saved you time, heartache, mistakes, whatever. Right. So, so asking is, is really an important thing. And I don't think I did enough of that early on. Yeah. Imposter syndrome, probably right. That it comes up when you're, yeah, there you go. Do you have a, a favorite book or podcast right now? Yeah. I mean, it's the same one that I've had for a while. It's uh, how I built this by Guy Rudd. I love both the book and also the podcast. It's just so fascinating and it gives priceless insights and inspiration to hear from the world's most interesting entrepreneurs on how they started something, where they got their idea, where they get the inspiration, you know, how they yeah. built their venture. You're always learning something new and there's, it's just exciting and very inspiring to see people have an idea and know that it's the way to go and do whatever it is that they do to make it happen and then watch the fruits of the labor and the mistakes along the way. So I find that riveting. So I listen to that all the time. I'm also a yeah. crime junkie. So I listen to crime junkie podcast too, but that's that's less about business and more about <laughs> fascinating unsolved murder mysteries. Yeah, I love that. So many people, I mean, that's huge right now. Isn't that the number one trending category on podcasts, I think is crime, true crime. Know. I love, I'm, I'm riveted. I just am riveted about hearing the details and understanding how they went unsolved or how they got solved. And it's just super fascinating. It is. Yeah. A little scary, a lot scary, but, but very interesting. <laughs> it's funny. I, we sent a survey to our, our clients asking them what, sur- what podcast they listen to. And by far how I built this was what like 90% of them responded with that as their top podcast. Sorry, so I wish I could have been more original, but but honestly, oh, no, that's just how good it is. It's so good. So much about founders and where their head was at and what gave them inspiration. And it's just a feel good. And, and I learn a lot. I take a lot of notes when I hear those. Love it. And Karen, thank you so much for joining us. For anybody that wants to get in touch with you or reach out, learn more about mentorship or or anything that we touched on today, where can they reach you? Find me on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, You can follow me there. And I will make one little plug, which is for the Global Mentorship Initiative. So that's an organization I am on their board, but it's a fascinating opportunity to learn how to be a mentor first time out because they have a 14-week curriculum that they built. So if you apply to be a mentor and they're looking for people at all phases, sort of mid-stage career and above, it's an amazing program. It teaches you so much about the process of mentoring that you could take into your work life. And by the way, their focus is largely women, but not only women in underserved African Caribbean nations. And the gift of helping them navigate their career in corporate America is just, it's wonderful. So every time we have sort of a gong, every time somebody lands a job who's been through our mentor program. So that's a really good place to start because if nothing else, there's a great curriculum attached to being a mentor there. So ping me if you want to learn more or just go to Global Mentorship Initiative. Love that. I can also link to that in comments. That That sounds like an amazing group. We are constantly looking for in all walks of life, mentors to pair up. We have more students than we can handle right now. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for for plugging that for sure. We'll we'll link to it in show notes and I'm going to check it out myself too. So sure. thanks again, Karen, for joining us. It's been so great chatting with you and getting all of this advice. I mean, my page here, you can see if you're on the YouTube channel, full <laughs> of notes. So thank well, you very much. I'm glad it was useful. And it's always a gift to be able to share my experience. Because like I said, I was a consumer along the way earlier in my career. So if anything I said is useful to anyone that that, that made my day. So thanks for the opportunity. Perfect. Well, thank you. And everyone, if you're listening, you like the show, you like what you hear, like, review, share, comment, do whatever you can to show some love and we appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks.